Well, good morning again. We continue our study in the book of uh, Romans. We're going to move uh, from verses 1 through 7 uh, into the next section of Paul's um, very long, for even Paul, uh, introduction and opening to his letter. We've been looking at this in the context of uh, Paul's desire to see within the church in Rome a building of a community that represents and lives out the fullness of this new thing called the body of Christ or this new thing called the church. And in Paul's words, again and again, we see him go back to and reinforce what a blessing, what a great gift of God it is, and also what a challenge it can be for us as individuals to participate in it. This morning we'll start at verse 7, and I'll go ahead and read through verse 15. Hear now God's word. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and King Jesus. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm not I am obligated to both Greeks and to barbarians, both wise and the foolish. I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that you have given us your word, that we might meditate on it, reflect on it, spend time with it. We pray that even in the passages that are familiar, your promise to make the word alive, to continue to grow in us, would again by your spirit be true this morning. And Lord, whatever is said that is not true or good for the building up of your people, may those words quickly be forgotten. Amen. So section uh, one of Romans, chapters one through four, is a description by Paul of God's righteousness, God's right acts. And that starts even in the first few verses of the chapter. This is Paul helping us understand what righteousness looks like, why God's acts are right and good in the midst of a broken and fallen world. And so as Paul starts this chapter, he is explaining how God has been right and good in his faithful creation of a people. And for Paul, that stretches all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to his original love and gathering of a people, 
his sovereign act of taking a weak uh, people who were enslaved in Egypt and turning them into a mighty nation. His righteous act of redeeming his people when they left him and restoring them to their land. And his promise that one day he would create a people that was not just simply the descendants of Abraham, but descendants of all humanity, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. God's right act is to restore the unity of humanity in the way that they were always created to be and to remove those things. Death, selfishness, uh, my own idolatries and fears and angers, my uh, history of doing violence to others or being a recipient of and a victim of others' violence, all of those things that makes it so hard to trust the person next to us, let alone the person who's in a town over or a nation over, being removed. And Paul's calling is to be one who teaches God's people what it looks like to act out the love of God in a way that begins to undo the things that divide us as people. And it is always very close to the surface for Paul. And as we live in a nation that is blessed to be a nation of immigrants, we can see how the richness at our best moments of that diversity of how our culture grows and changes when we add holidays and foods and traditions and ways of thinking about life. And that stew, when it's at its best, begins to take in the common grace wisdom of all of those different backgrounds and ethnicities and histories and cultures. But it's always a struggle. It's always a struggle. Sometimes I mention that uh, just to be slightly provocative, particularly when you live in the suburbs and when you live on the West Coast, that New York may be the closest thing, New York City, to what the city of God will look like. And people, well, maybe better trash service on a daily basis or what have you. But what I mean by that, broadly speaking, is you have more nations represented on the, on the five boroughs of, of New York City than you do any place in the world. You have bigger cities in China and places like that, but they're all regionally mostly the same group of folks. But in New York, you can have uh, different apartment blocks where you have regions of Albania represented and regions of Croatia represented where they still speak languages uh, and dialects from their old valleys that are no longer present back in the old country. I think uh, you'll remember I read an article several years ago where those who were trying to preserve some languages would actually go to Queens and find the people who spoke it because there was no one left in the old country who spoke that dialect. That every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Does New York City have deep problems? Does it erupt in violence? Yes, this side of glory, that is a challenge. And yet at the same time, the richness of what that city creates in culture, in art, in music, in food, is because the diversity of God's creation and the diversity of humanity is brought into one place. In Rome, in the first century, Paul is in, uh, encountering really the closest thing uh, to New York City. Because of the size of the Roman Empire, he is writing to a central powerful city in which every known nation and tribe had some representative. 
some person in their uh, community in Rome. It is an amazingly cosmopolitan city for the first century. And Paul is writing and he is excited about what God is doing and that the entire world knows that there is a church in Rome and that that church is made up of people from that city, which means it's made up of people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. As it grows and expands, it has that contact with people. And so he, first of all, starts off in verse 8 with praise and thankfulness for a people that God is gathering together, a fulfillment of those promises of Genesis. Again, Paul is just uh, marinated and steeped in the Old Testament promises that God would restore, not just Israel in a singular sense, but the promise of what it meant to be the people of God and a blessing to all nations. So he gives thanks for God's power and grace of planting a church in the most cosmopolitan and powerful city in the world at that time. In verse 9, he goes on to say that he prays for them regularly because he knows the difficulties they face, right? When you live in that kind of stew of so many different cultures and backgrounds, uh, religious beliefs, way that you can step on each other's toes, when we go to the uh, Yakima Reservation or we go up to Warm Springs, we have a day of training just to learn a little bit about how you engage because the reality is that within native cultures, some of the things we take for granted, a good firm handshake, looking somebody in the eye, are not the staples of their culture and community. That that aggressive handshake is potentially seen as a challenge or a threat. And so to be more gentle, to communicate friendship, uh, looking somebody in the eye, again, can be seen as more confrontational than friendly. And so to be able to look at a shared thing together and to talk about it and to say hello that way, as opposed to looking at each other in the eye. Is one right or wrong? Heavens no. That, it's not a morality question. It is a question, however, of learning how to live together well and ha- know how we might accidentally step on each other's toes. So Paul is praying for the church in Rome. Each church has its own challenges, but can you imagine the stress on a congregation in Rome as it is trying to find its way with the new faith in the midst of the aggressive culture of Rome? And not only that, we know that in this setting, we have a situation where uh, the Jewish folks had been removed from Rome for about five or six years, kicked out by Claudius, and they've just recently moved back in under the rule of Nero. And so now there's not only the challenge of the stew and the wonderful cultural diversity that is Rome, now you have the additional complication of a faith that is probably a little less Jewish than anywhere else in the church at that time in the church's history. It is the most Gentile church in the world. And you have those who are coming back and saying, we are the original sons and daughters of this faith. What have you done to it? Paul prays for them regularly because he loves them. We can't imagine a community of faith working well without faithful, regular prayer from its leaders and from its prayer team. I believe in many regards, 
the strength of CVP is because of the amount of time you spend in prayer for it. And to the degree that we continue to pray for the challenges and the opportunities, the needs and the abundance that we have to know how to address needs because of the generosity of God through you requires prayer. So as much as we pray individually for each other, we also pray corporately for how we get together and communicate and utilize the best we can the gifts and the talents and the diversity, even in our small congregation. And so Paul is thankful for them, thankful for where they're located, thankful for what that means implication-wise as God begins to draw in every nation, every tribe. Paul knows that that's going to require a lot of prayer. And so he says, I regularly, faithfully, when I am in prayer, think of you and pray for you. And he wants to be a people who are gathered together in such a way that they can encourage one another. And Paul looks forward to both being an encourager as a visiting apostle and, and teacher and being encouraged by them. Again, that great sense of equality, because it is not typical for one of these traveling philosophers, which there were many of during the first century, who would come to a town and would get paid for teaching and uh, talking about uh, Epicureanism or Neoplatonic thought or fill in the blank on what philosophy you preferred. But they didn't expect to learn or be encouraged by the people they were teaching. They expected to tell them what they needed to know and to get well paid. And Paul here is drawing a new line and a new idea of what it means to be a teacher and one who is also a learner. I can't wait to come and encourage you, and I can't wait to be encouraged by you. I've longed to be with you because I want to be encouraged by you as much as I hope to be an encouragement. And what are those things that he's encouraging them about? I just huge rabbit trail, but I will make it short. Because of how significantly Paul keeps referring to God the Father, the second person of the Trinity and and Jesus the Messiah, and the presence of the Holy Spirit, I want to suggest that at least the very foundation of Paul's encouragement to the church in Rome is going to be based on Exodus 34, 6, where God describes who he is by explaining his name. Slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who does see sin, who sees what it does to people and does have his anger that evil and death still plague the world stirred. We don't have a God who doesn't get angry because you can't love something if you don't get angry when it's under threat and abuse and attack. He is not a reactionary angry God. He doesn't reach out and on a whim, willy-nilly, act out in vengeance the way that some of the uh, pagan gods would, the way we read the wonderful stories about Zeus. And we're like, I understand that God. That God looks a lot like me. But a God who's slow to anger and abounding in love, I'm not sure I know how to wed those two together. And yet God does so perfectly. Deuteronomy 6, 
6 through 8, which is the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. To encourage people in Rome from these diverse cultures about what it means to have one God, the creator of the entire universe. Again, at that time, you have uh, the rise of the imperial cult. All of a sudden, Augustus Caesar, who was just a man, becomes a divinity. And his entire family line, the Claudius line, becomes a group that you pray to, that you worship, that you can't do business in the marketplace without acknowledging their divinity. They're going to need encouraged on how to navigate Rome with all of the ways in which the lines that we draw between the political and sort of the secular life and the religious life do not exist. Everything is religious in Rome. Everything is interplayed with and uh, woven with one's faith and belief in the presence of the divine Augustus or the divine uh, whims of the God of war or the God of harvest or the God of wine. You can't do business selling wine if you're not in good with Bacchus because he's the God of wine. they're going to need to be encouraged about who this different and new God really is. And Paul is going to be encouraged by hearing new believers enjoy the freedom as he's going to describe it in the next couple of verses. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power to set people free. And nothing encourages a pastor more than seeing people set free, set free in Christ. In our shared faith that makes us a people. So Paul summarizes after he talks about this encouragement. Encouraging what? Well, I think the shared faith is based off of Exodus, based off of Deuteronomy, fleshed out in the rest of the Old Testament, expanded on in Jesus' teaching, and Paul says that's our shared faith and hope. That's what unites us together the reality of who god is god the father king jesus and the grace of the holy spirit that one hope that shared faith binds us together for the bumpy road of becoming one people and so my encouragement of questions to ask oneself to meditate or ponder perhaps a little bit over the course of the week first of all how are we becoming a people? Do, do we think about our families and us as singles and as empty nesters and fill in the blank as families? How are we becoming a people? Seeing the church in Newburgh, seeing the church at CVP as a people, a new group defined by the right acts of God who saved us from sin and gave us the Holy Spirit that we might flourish. How are we becoming a people? What kind of a people are we becoming? Churches can head down lots of different roads. There needs to be lots of prayer, just as there was prayer uh, for the Roman church. There's a lot of ways the Roman church could have gone. And some of those prayers uh, we needed to keep praying because around 300 AD, the church became really confused in its relationship with the state and whether or not Constantine was more king than Jesus. 
We need to pray for the church. I think often of the church in China as it grows and becomes powerful. Are we praying that it might stay the kind of people that started those churches in the love and the grace and the mercy, not becoming a tool of the state? What kind of people are we becoming? Is it being shaped by slow to anger and abounding in love? The great confidence of hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Your God is the creator of the universe. You need not fear when trials come. They will come and you will get nervous, but our hope is in the reality that our God reigns, the creator of the universe. What kind of a people are we becoming? And how can we strengthen, lastly, then one another? The third question, how can we strengthen the ties as we become? one people, which means, again, recognizing the differences, helping people become the best version of who they were created to be, and seeing the sin and brokenness stripped away by the gospel so that we might be ever truer to who we were originally and always created to be. We won't all look the same. We won't all end up having the same interests and love, but we will share a common faith. And that will grow us stronger and allow us to appreciate the fact that we are not all the same. So how are we becoming a people? What kind of a people are we becoming? And lastly, how do we strengthen and encourage one another as the people of God? As we meditate, as we process what those uh, questions may uh, answer and show us, I believe that God grows and builds his church and that we can rest in the sure knowledge that we won't have to come up with all the answers. We won't have to be strong enough to solve all the problems because we have a gracious God who's given us the Holy Spirit. And that hope and faith is what will give us the strength to allow him to do in us the creation of a new people. Because in the end, God doesn't stand back, see how we answer these questions, and see whether or not we have enough strength, intelligence, and fortitude to get it done. But what we are supposed to do is say, my God, there's no way we could do that. And he says, you're right. I will do it in and through you by my spirit. Trust the spirit to do it through us. We get then a front row seat to what God does by his power through you and through me. That's a great way to be able to rest in the knowledge of how a people are going to stay together. It's his spirit working through us. We can trust him to accomplish all that he promises. Because as Paul says, I thank God the fact that he called you and he made you a people. May he make us a powerful people for his glory. Amen. We pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you be merciful to the preaching of your word. We thank you uh, for your strength in and through us. We thank you for being able to participate in what it means to be your people. We ask that by your spirit, we might continue to build up this body, build up our sister churches in this community that your name might be praised and the world might know that there is a new way of being human, a new people created 
And it is as exciting today as it was when Paul witnessed the first churches being planted throughout Asia. Thank you for your ongoing work. In Christ's name, amen.